0: But if you have not heard this passage before, a couple things maybe jumped out at you. You know, Paul is talking about this third heaven, and we say, what is the third heaven? And a lot of scholars have tried to wrestle around with this. Some scholars say, don't worry about it, it doesn't really matter. But most commonly, it is thought of when we look up in the sky and we see the clouds, that is the first heaven ascended into the heavens. At nighttime, tonight, once the smoke from the fireworks uh, settle, we're going to see stars. It's supposed to be a beautiful, clear night. That's the second heaven. Beyond the stars, that's where God is. That's where God is. Now, a lot of scholars say the one that experienced this third heaven was actually Paul himself. But he was speaking in the third person there. He, later on, he, re- he reveals, he kind of gives us this clue that it was him But he's trying to do a parody of the great boasting, grandstanding of the super apostles. And so he speaks in this third voice. The second thing that jumped out that very quickly I want to get to before getting into the meat of this was this thorn in the flesh. And it may be that thorn is not a really good translation. It's more like a stake, a giant stake that has been driven into him. Now, William Barclay cites that that some of the great thinkers, some of the great theologians have not agreed on what it was. John Calvin said the thorn has to be taken to mean spiritual temptations, the temptation to doubt, to shirk the duties of of what an apostle, of what a disciple should really be. And I think if that is a thorn, each and every one of us have been poked by that from time to time. Martin Luther, the founder of our brothers and sisters in the Lutheran movement, said that thorn was to mean the opposition and persecution which he had to face, the constant battle with those who tried to undo his work. The Roman Catholic Church traditionally said it is carnal temptations that Paul, as a bachelor, was constantly struggling with lust, with with carnal wants and desires, and it, it it impacted him in ways that were difficult. The great ancient theologians, Tertullian and Saint Jerome, said Paul was suffering from migraine headaches, that he was one who suffered from migraine headaches. I know that there are many people here who have migraine headaches. I know as a child I had them, I grew out of them. My sister, when her body chemistry changed, grew into them. And those of you who have had bad migraines know that sometimes it can wipe you out for days. And you can't do a single thing but lay in a dark room with, with some kind of something cold over your head. Some say it was epilepsy, some say it was his blindness caused when he encountered Christ on the road to Damascus and shingles covered his eyes. We know that a lot of people who have shingles on the face and the eyes can have ongoing lasting effects. But by far the most likely, not only according to Barclay, but others, was that Paul suffered from something that was common in that part of the world at that time, a recurrent um, attack of a, a violent malarial fever which haunted the coast of the Mediterranean. And natives in that culture, if you did something to wrong me, I would pray that you would get afflicted with this. And when it hit you, you would be down with fever, And it really would feel as if there was a burning spike, a stake going right through your head. But I think the the point here theologically is Paul never does give that thorn a name. He just calls it a thorn. And we say, well, why would he just call it a thorn? And, And a lot of scholars believe because the people in Corinth would have already known what his thorn was. He would have spent time with them. But I think for you and I, what is important here is Paul's omission of actually naming what his affliction was allows us to filter it through our own thorns. And friends, to be human is to have one thorn or another. And sometimes we think our own thorns are the worst and yet we see somebody else who is dealing with something far more severe. But Paul wants to make it clear Thorny people, people of stakes. Paul wants to make it clear that it wasn't God who afflicted him with this. He named Satan, but it's really the adversary, the forces of evil, he believes, because it was trying to impede him from sharing the good news of grace with as many people as he possibly could. You know, and sometimes when we are wrestling with the stakes, with the thorns, we say, God, why won't you just take this away from me? We pray, sometimes for decades and decades, that God would take this away. And yet what we need to learn, what Paul did learn, is that when we are strong in our abilities, in our resources, when everything always goes our way, then we are tempted to believe that we don't need God. And we're tempted to believe that we can do God's work on our own, and that can lead to a dangerous level of pride. What Paul learned and what we need to know is when we are weak, allowing God to fill us with the kind of power that only God can provide, then we are stronger than we could ever be on our own. Remember that that great old poem, Footprints? Two paths, two tracks. And the guy says, how come there's only one set of tracks when it was in my worst times, when those thorns were afflicting me? Where were you? And, And the poem says, of course, God says, well, that's when I was carrying you. Because you didn't have the strength, I give you a strength that goes beyond anything you can have on your own. And so God does not intend that we be weak, that we be passive or ineffective. Life provides enough hindrances, enough thorns, enough stakes, enough setbacks without our having to create our own. And when those obstacles do come, and if you're one of the rare ones that has never had any obstacle or hurdle to clear, I've got bad news for you. It's gonna come, maybe time and time again. It is then that we need to depend on the power that God provides, because only God's power is gonna be able to make us effective for living life in faith, for living life for him, to help us to do the kinds of things that have lasting value, lasting value. And so God's response to Paul's three-time prayer to just take this away was to say uh, that my grace is sufficient for you, sufficient for you. And so if you want to, after the cookouts and everything today, just, just say, what are my weaknesses? What are my thorns? Where are my areas of brokenness? And how can I turn that into a strength? I so appreciated Andrew's uh, picture of kintsugi, and, and that was one that, that he shared. And this kintsugi, this, it's, as he mentioned, as he explained, it's a Japanese method of repairing pottery that is broken with gold or silver or platinum. And the philosophy behind this, and the, the thing that really comes to do, to, out of it is that it becomes something brand new. And oftentimes it becomes something that is even stronger and even more beautiful than it was before and when we take our brokenness our woundedness our humanness and allow the precious grace of god like a precious metal we can become something stronger and more beautiful than we were before and at the time when we are broken it feels impossible never forget our oldest daughter was uh, at Jackson Elementary School and it was recess time and she was playing around and, and she slipped and she fell and she broke her collarbone. And we got the call from the school nurse, that was back when each school had their own nurse, you know, come in and pick up your child. And so I took her and, and it was revealed it was a broken bone. And for such a little girl who had never broken anything, it was alarming, I can be broken? I can hurt? And so they put her in a sling and I took her to the pharmacy to get some stuff and our musical director serving that church at that time, big tall man named Dan, and and Dan was in there to pick up a prescription, hypertension medicine or something, and he saw Abby with her sling on, and so he got down on his knees so he could look her right in the eye. And he said, what happened, Abby? And she said, I'm broken. (laughs) I, I said, she broke her collarbone. And he pet her on the other shoulder, wise man, and said, oh, Abby, I broke mine when I was about your age, too. And you know what the doctor told me? The doctor told me that because of how old I was, that when this heals, it's actually going to be stronger than it was before. And her entire demeanor changed. The pain didn't go away, but there was hope there was hope that that bone was going to be even stronger because of the brokenness and the healing that, that, that God provides through time and through medicine and through, uh, through rehab. It just, she was excited about that. We look at some people in our lives and we say, maybe they're no good. Maybe they're too broken. They're too shattered. Certainly, if the people in Corinth would have had Helen Keller born into their community they would have said this is a throwaway person. They would have seen her as broken and defective, but we know that God didn't and that something beautiful was born out of her writings, out of her story. And so I wanna just ask you, when have you seen God at work through your own weaknesses or through the weaknesses of others? Let me also ask you this, how do you develop trust in god when you're feeling that that searing pain whether it's emotional or physical friends i tell you that just acknowledging our weaknesses is the first step to wholeness and to strength thanks be to god you see to paul and to you and to me there is a promise and the reality of this all-sufficient grace it was sufficient for, his, for, it's sufficient for physical weariness, and it enables us to keep pressing on even when we feel that we can't. I mentioned John Calvin and Martin Luther and some of the fathers of the Roman Catholic Church. In the Methodist tradition, we cite a man named John Wesley. He was a priest in the Church of England that was just trying to light a fire under the Church of England, so that they would be the people that God calls God's people to be here on earth. And when those people started coming to this land, they brought his theology, they brought his ethic, his, his, his uh, fights for, for justice and for dignity, and that all would be fed, and that, and that we would walk a walk that is pure and true. John Wesley lived way longer than people did in the 1700s. John Wesley, according to some scholars, preached an estimated 42,000 sermons, He averaged traveling 4,500 miles a year at a time before cars and airplanes and mass transit. He rode 60 to 70 miles on a horse each and every day and preached an average of three sermons a day. When he was 83, he wrote in his diary, I am a wonder to myself. I am never tired either with preaching, writing, or traveling. And what we see there is that was the work of the all-sufficient grace in his life. And so John Wesley said, when you're broken, and it's a quote I use time and time again, he said, cry to the strong for strength. When you are weak, when you are crushed, cry to the strong for strength. And so when you feel weak, when you feel broken, when when you feel filled with thorns, remember, By the all-sufficient grace of God, power can be made and is often made perfect in our weaknesses. And that is good news.